Alright, so Genesis 29 is where we're at. And Genesis 29, uh, what's interesting, this chapter here is pretty much just straight facts, telling us a story, tell us exactly what happened. This is a very famous story. I think everybody knows the story about Jacob and how Laban basically tricked him and gave him Leah instead of Rachel for a wife. We all know this story, and we're going to go through all of that. But something I want to do in this sermon, just because you know, I'm not going to pull anything deep, symbolic, or anything. I don't think, not unless I'm missing something, I don't know of any major Bible doctrines that we would get uh, from this particular chapter. But what I do want to do, though, is I want to kind of use this chapter to teach uh, some things about servants in the Bible that a lot of people don't understand, that they misunderstand. And so uh, we're going to do that kind of as we go through this. But let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked and behold a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and the great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Now, there's one or two ways we can interpret this passage here. First, I'm going to give you my interpretation that's probably not right, but I like it. So I'm going to give it to you. So basically what we see here, Jacob, he's going there to look for a wife, right? So Jacob, he shows up there. Uh, there's all these people ready there to water their flocks, but they have to wait until the stone gets moved because there's a heavy stone there. And uh, so they're, they got to wait. And so then all of a sudden, Jacob sees Rachel coming to water her sheep, is immediately impressed when he sees her, so decides to show off his strength, and he moves the stone all by himself. That's what we see going on here. You know, so what do the guys do? They got to show off their strength and everything. And then he goes over to Rachel and he lays a big kiss on her, right? Isn't that what we see? So we have, is it Jacob wooing Rachel here? Or it could just be that when Jacob saw Rachel, and he was just very excited, you know, because he finally got there to go see his family. And so he wanted her to be able to hurry up and water the flock. So he moves it himself. And when he goes to kiss her, you know, it wasn't so much of a, you know, he just like went and laid one on her or anything like that. It was more of just like a greeting kiss because, too, you know, that probably killed the moment when after he went and did this great, you know, feat of strength, lays a big kiss on her, and then he starts bawling. I mean, I got to think right there that would have, like, killed the moment for a female. But, again, so my, for, my interpretation is probably not right. What I'm thinking, it's probably just more he was just excited to be there, to know his journey was complete. And so uh, that's the real, that's probably the actual interpretation that we should probably go with. But anyway, 
though, imagine, though, what it would have been like back then getting to meet your relatives. Because these are the things that we kind of take for granted. I mean, this it, this is his cousin. You know, this is, he's about to go meet his mother's brother. And, you know, because think about that, too. Imagine, you know, if we lived back in these days and, you know, we lived, if you lived a long distance from your family, you weren't going to see him. Maybe ever. And at this point, it's like Jacob had never seen him. But you know he'd heard about him. You know all that time he spent dwelling in the tents with his mother that she probably told him about her brother Laban. She told him about you know where he she used to live and what the land was like and what the people was, were like. So when Jacob finally got to go and get to that place, you know it would have been an exciting moment too, especially considering the way they would have had to travel back then. We don't think about these things today because we take all this stuff for granted. Because we can get wherever we want to in a day, thanks to airplanes. Even And then when it comes to families, we have pictures, we have videos, we have Skype, you know, we have Google Hangouts. We've got all these things, so we're all connected. But imagine what an emotional experience it would be to get to meet family you'd heard about your whole life, you know, after you're a grown man. That would be a pretty exciting thing, especially back then. Today in our culture... We take all this stuff for granted. So this story, when we're reading it, it just doesn't seem like a big deal. But this was a pretty big deal. It's a special time for Jacob. And so in verse 12, it says, And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. She's excited. This is, you know, I've heard about Rebekah. You know, I've heard of her. You know, and dad's going to be so excited. She runs home to tell him. And it says, And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings, of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with them the space of a month. So this is a big deal. because Not just because this was Jacob's family, but because Jacob himself was a big deal. That's something that we're seeing uh, throughout the book of Genesis is, you know, Abraham, Isaac, these weren't just our focal, you know, the characters the Bible's focusing on. These were great men, meaning men of great wealth and prominence, people that men that were well known. So you've got Abraham, who was a very great man, very well known in all the land. You've got Isaac, who was the same way. And so this is their, this is the son. So this story is a big deal. This, you know, reunion is a big deal because this is a great man that that comes from a great family. So, so we read these things and kind of take these things for granted. But it says in verse 15, And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldst thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? Okay? So now notice this. Jacob, he leaves his land. And he goes to Laban's land. He's in the land of Haran, which was, uh, you know, you know uh, Terabiah, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And so Laban is in this family. This land is his. It belongs to him. Jacob now is dwelling in this land. So if he's going to dwell in this land, then you know what that means? That means he's going to be Jacob or Laban's servant. Okay. Now, in our King James Bible, it only uses the word slave or slaves twice. Okay, once in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the slaves of men, when it refers to Babylon. 
And there's one other verse, I forgot where it's at, where it talks about slave. But a lot of the modern Bible versions, they use the word slave instead of servant. Now, the word slave is something that Americans get very triggered by, don't they? And you'll often hear people, when criticizing the Bible, they will talk about, all oh, the Bible condones slavery. Is what they always bring up. And you know, I, I get really aggravated when people bring that up because when they get triggered by what the Bible actually says about servants, I realize I'm dealing with a super ignorant person. That they just don't understand the Bible. They don't understand the United States of America. And I, and I want to show you some things to help you understand servants in the Old Testament you know, as, as we look at, at this story, because I think this is a great example that illustrates what a servant was in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you right now, it was not that bad of a thing. In fact, it wasn't bad at all in many cases. So notice here how Laban says, hey, if you're going to be my servant, let's let, not let it be for nothing. What shall thy wages be? Okay, if you're going to work for me, what do you want? And if somebody's a servant, you know, they ought to get paid. They ought to be taken care of. And so... Uh, it's so, Well, the first thing before we keep going go on in the Scriptures that you need to understand is that it's not a bad thing being a servant as long as you have a good master. Okay? If you have a good master, being a servant can be a very good thing. It can be great. In fact, the life of a servant with a good master in many ways could actually be better than the life that we live today. With freedom in America. Okay? So, how could that be? My wife's got a funny look on her face. Right, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. And a lot of people would look at this and say, man, I'd hate to live back in those days. Hey, we got it worse today. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to show you I'm sick of Americans who act like they're all enlightened. We're so enlightened today because, you know, we don't have slavery. And, you know, that Bible is just all off and it condones slavery and it's just, it's just a bad book. No, you are ignorant of reality. You are living in a fantasy world. You have fallen for the lines of the politicians. You've been fallen because people have just told you certain things. You think these things. And so let's just look at reality here. Let's look at an example because Jacob became a servant to Laban. But it wasn't a bad thing. Okay? It was not a bad thing. I believe it was a good thing. So, 1 Peter 2.18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. So some people have good and gentle masters. Some have froward masters. If you get a, you get a master like that, that stinks. That's not fun. And some people get masters like that, and that's not good. Uh, I think we've got some masters like that in this country. But another thing you need to understand, too, Okay, I'm talking to you as Americans here. You do not have any right to property or land just because you exist. Okay, I need you all to get that. Okay? You don't have any right to land, property, or anything like that just because you exist. I don't know where people get the idea that they're just owed certain things. Okay, so here's the question. Who does the land belong to? Okay. You ever thought about that? Because we do see in the Bible that land ownership was a very big thing. That you know, when God gave the uh, children of Israel the land of Canaan, 
God designated different parts of that land to the different 12 tribes. And that land was supposed to remain with those tribes. It was the inheritances that the individuals received that we read about that came out of Egypt in the book of Deuteronomy and it came out of the wilderness. That land that they inherited was supposed to stay in their family. And it was a big deal. Remember, I think it was Zelophehad that had the daughters who he died not having any sons. But it was important that the land that he inherited stayed in his name. So they made it where as long as they married men from the tribe that he was from, that those men could possess that land, but it was going to be in his name. And it was supposed to stay that way because that was a very important thing. But again, though, so when it comes to land in the rest of the world, who does it belong to? Who gets it? The United States, who should this land belong to? Should we give it back to the Indians? Does it belong to them? Well, I'm going to tell you that I don't believe biblically it belongs to the Indians. And I think even legally, I'm not studied what our laws say about this. Okay, But I do believe our laws are probably somewhat, in many ways, similar to what the Bible taught when it comes to property and land ownership and things. Because notice, So in Genesis 1.28, notice the command that God gave. In the beginning, God said, Bless them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And God told them, to subdue that land. Now, what makes land yours? What makes land yours is when you subdue that land. Do you know this world, when it was originally created, you know, it became a, you know, most of it was a wilderness. Most of it, you know, it, for, for anyone to survive, it had to be taken care of. Even in the beginning of the, in the garden, Adam had to dress and keep that garden. If you just let land go, it will become overgrown and it will become worthless in many ways. You have to take care of land. And so if for land to become yours, you actually have to subdue that land. Now, let me ask you, you know, what land have we subdued? I'm not so really subdued any land. You know, when I came to this area, even though I own a house, hey, that that land was already subdued. You know, somebody already put the roads there. Somebody already had a well dug. You know, if you live in town, somebody made those roads, they put in those sidewalks, they put in those water lines, they put in that electricity. Somebody put all that in, and I don't know who it was, but you know those people are usually very, very rich people. And they did. Somebody came in this area a long time ago. It was a wilderness, and they subdued it. And the reason I don't necessarily think the Indians you know, should have all of this country is because, you know what, when they came over, you know, when the Europeans started coming over to this country, a lot of this land was completely unsubdued. Most of this land was completely unsubdued, subdued. And when they came over and they started clearing things out and taking care, you know what, it became theirs. That's the way that, that kind of thing works. I believe that is something that we kind of see in the Bible too. And so look what it says in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 27. Notice this here. I think this is interesting. This is when God's given him his law and God's telling him, I'm going to give you that land of Canaan. He says, and I will send my fear before thee and will destroy all the people whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. So, and notice... The land that Israel had, it was the Canaanites, but God took it from them 
and gave it to Israel, which God can do that because it's all His. God can do that because it's His. Now, I don't believe we can necessarily do that. I don't believe we have the right as Americans to go invade another country, drive them out of their land, and then take everything for ourselves. I don't think we have the right to do that. Now, God did, God did, you know, does have the right to do that. God did tell Israel to do that because these people are very wicked. But notice, he says, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year. Why not? Wouldn't that have been easier? He said, no, because lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee, by little and little I will drive them out before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. See, this land that God was giving them, this was a blessing. God said, I'm going to give you houses that you build not. I'm going to give you fields that you didn't plant. I'm going to do all these things. God was giving them already subdued land, which was a great you know, gift from God that he was given. One that the Canaanites were losing, and they deserved to lose it. But God didn't drive them all out in a year because then the land would have overgrown, been out of control, and it would have been a great deal of work. So God actually saved them a lot of trouble and a lot of work by driving them out of the land little by little. Because once land just becomes completely overgrown and out of control, then you know what? It's fair game. Someone else can come and take it. You didn't take care of it. okay? Because you don't just have the right to just go, like people that settled this area, you know, when they were settling areas, they didn't have the right to just go and, right, I'm the first one that got into the state of Texas. It's all mine. Hey, no, unless you're actually doing something with it and taking care of it, it's not yours until you have subdued it. And that's why back in the day, too, you wanted to have a lot of kids. Because if you had a lot of kids, that's more land you could subdue. That's a greater inheritance that you have. So these things were very important. And this is something that societies have always done. But today, we just think because we're Americans, because we exist, we have right to all kinds of things. Well, Really? So just because you were born, you have a right to land and property and all these things? It's like, well, okay, fine. I don't have a right to, so then what do I do? I was born in this country. I was born in this state. So what do I do? You know what? That means you are a servant. If you are living in land that you did not subdue, you today are a servant. And you might not feel like one, but that's because you've been told you're not one. But I'm telling you, you are a servant. And I'm going to show you that as we go. Because So you know, pretty much all the land, you know, and not all the land, but most of the land in the United States that's worth anything has already been subdued. Okay. Now, the truth is, though, if I had the means, if I had the ability, I'm pretty sure I, I've not researched this. I'm not really interested because I don't have the means. I don't have the money. But if I was somebody who was of great wealth, if I actually wanted to go and pay myself to have roads built in some big area, maybe out west, if I had the money to get water into that area and electricity and, you know, all those, that type of thing, if I wanted, I could start a whole new town. I could name it after myself. And then people who come and want to start living there because of what I put there, you know, I can start getting a little money from all of them, couldn't I? You know, I could be I could be the guy in charge, and because we live in the United States, I wouldn't be able to like establish a kingdom or anything like that. But I could easily put myself as a leader, as the mayor, and I could, you know, be a very rich guy. 
but I would have to go subdue that land. Y'all understand that? And I'm, I know that kind of thing can still be done today. I don't really know how it works, but there are people that are still doing that, and these people are filthy rich. These are very rich people that are out there. And truth is, we're actually, all of us in here, we're servants to a lot of these people. And they're so high up, we don't even know who they are. Okay? In the pyramid of power, we are so low down on the pyramid that we don't even know who the people are on the top. We have no idea. We're just you know, down there holding all them up. But we're all being told we're free. And, and we're like, all right. <laughs> as long as you tell me I'm free, I'm happy. You know, you're happy. And, 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 and we, you know, it's okay that we're happy. Okay? I'm not trying to slap you out, you know, your ignorance away and tell you, hey, you realize you're supposed to be miserable right now? You realize you should be protesting, you know, and demanding another emancipation proclamation? You know, I, I'm not doing that. I'm just trying to show you, though, that what we see in the Bible is better than what we have today in many cases. So let's keep looking at some things. So, you know, because, again, so if you're just a poor commoner, like most of us today... That we live in a land that's already been subdued. There's already roads out here already made. There's water, electricity that somebody else put in. We had nothing to do with it. And so the truth is, we are all slaves. And so I have land. You say, well, I have land. I have some possessions. You know, I got cars. I got a house. I got some property. But, you know, we have land and possessions just as much as Jacob did while he was serving Laban. Because think about this. While Jacob is serving Laban all these years, and he, we'll see he served him 20 years, he had food, he had a place where he lived, he had shelter, he had everything he needed to survive, didn't he? But let me ask you, after 14 years of working, okay, Jacob shows up with nothing. After 14 years, all Jacob had was his two wives and his kids. That was it. He, we're going to see he ends up serving another six years for all the cattle. That was all he had. He, 14 years he served, and he's, all he's got is two wives and kids. He should have a lot of money, shouldn't he? Well, you know what? Did you know that's better than most of us are doing after 14 years of laboring? It really is. You know, most people today, they've been in the workforce for years and years, and you know what they've got? Debt. Think about that. Most of us have been working for years. But let's do the math. Most of us, we don't own our houses free and clear. We got a mortgage, don't we? If, I mean, if we went and sold everything we had, most of us might be in the hole by the time it's all said and done. And he said, I've been working my whole life just to you know, keep food on the table, keep the electricity on. And yeah, and you're in debt. So let me ask you, who is doing better after 14 years of labor? You or Jacob? He might have only had his wife and kids, but you know what? He could actually sing the song, If Tomorrow All the Things Were Gone, I Worked for All My Life, and I Had to Start Again with My Family and My Wives. <laughs> but most of us, if we like law, you know, if, so if we can't, if, you know, we, we'd love to start at zero. Because most Americans today are in the hole. After laboring all these years, let me ask you, who was better off? The servants back then or servants today? Say, so think, yeah, think about that. I mean, we all in here, we all work. Okay? We all have jobs. We work hard. Yet, what do we have? Hardly anything. How does that work? Because we're servants. 
When you're a servant, yeah, you don't have much. You don't get much out of it. I'm not trying to depress everybody with this. I'm just telling you reality. Okay? Yeah, I don't have much, but I'm happy with it. You know, that, that, that's, it's okay if you have little in this world. So, you know, you just need to think about that sometimes. Add up how long you have been working and what do you have to show for it today. And even if you own your house free and clear, you're paying taxes every year. You know, most of us, you know, we don't have these huge bank accounts and things. We don't have that. And the truth is, all that time, and we're going to see, we're going to see this later in the book of Genesis, all that time that Jacob was working for Laban, you know, Jacob made Laban rich. And you know what? That's what we're doing. We're making our employers rich. We're making our bankers rich. We're making the politicians rich. Everybody's rich but us. Man, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, join one of these political groups, you know, that are taking down the one percenters. Uh, so, you know, because our masters aren't that bad. They're not. We're all doing pretty good. Okay, I don't have any stripes on my back like some, you know, did in different times. You know, they're, they're not physically hurting us, but we do work hard. So, you know, I, so I'm just showing you all this because those who scoff at the Bible when it talks about having service, they do. They try to act like in America we're more advanced today. No, they've just done a better job of convincing us that we're all happy and we have freedom. We're not any better off. And so most people today, they're working full time, only going deeper into debt. And But the thing is, when you're a servant, you don't have to worry about paying bills or starving as long as you're doing your job every day. See, we, we work trying to just make sure we're going to have groceries next week. But, but the thing is, if you were Jacob and you're, you know, your master's rich, you're going to be fine. And so think about this. Imagine if you could be a servant to, you know, like a Elon Musk or somebody like that. I mean, chances are, if you're working for this guy closely, you're going to probably be living by him. I'll bet an Elon, you know, a, one of his servants' quarters probably destroy. I mean, is so much better than my house. I, in fact, in uh, LaSalle, they have the big Karis Mansion out there. We used to go look at. Across the street from it is this another massive mansion that was the servants' quarters. I mean, in its heyday, it blew away anything I will ever live in. So the thing is, back in the day, if you were a servant for one of those rich people, you could live a pretty good life. I mean, your shelter was taken care of. You were going to be fed. You just had to do what you had to do. You never, you didn't have to worry about debt. You just kept serving. And did you know that historically, and even in the Bible, some people liked being a servant so much, they never wanted to quit. Look what it says in Exodus 21. Because this is another passage. People get triggered by this. But it says in Exodus 21, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant... Oh, this Bible is just terrible. I mean... Look at that. Buying a Hebrew servant. Imagine that. Well, you know what? Somebody owns us. You know, well, where, you know, where's the purchase number on that? It's called your social security number. All right. You know, it says, Thou buy a Hebrew servant. Six years he shall serve. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. So he's just going to go out with nothing. But you know what? He was taken care of for six years. I mean, you know, that's pretty good. Six years. Some people are just trying to keep their head above water. Just trying to survive. But it wouldn't have been that bad. It says if he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, 
And she have born him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master and my, my wife and my children, I will not go out from thee. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, he shall also bring him to the door, and unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So they had a process, and that's what they do. The guy would get his ear pierced, and he would... It would be a sign that he belonged to this man forever. And you know, a lot of servants wanted to do that. And the truth is, there are people, they'd give their right arm to be able to be a servant for some of these super rich wealthy people because their life that they would live would be better, it would be more comfortable than it is right now being self-employed, working for themselves, and having all this freedom that we all have. They would be better off being that hired servant and... So I'm just showing you all this to show that being a servant you know, or a slave, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And if you had a good master, it could be better than what we have today. So understand, when people want to bring this up about the Bible, you know, being for slavery and all that, they're just ignorant. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand reality. And the truth is, yeah, we are all servants. I was born a servant. My parents did not have great wealth. And so to survive, to be able to eat, to be able to you know, pay for my clothing and have electricity and all these things, I've always had to work and I've had to work hard and I don't always have a whole lot extra. And, when, and the truth is, if I died right now, I don't really have much to leave anybody except for my life insurance policy. And the, and the thing is, you know, said I don't believe I have a right to anything. I don't believe just because I'm American, I've got a right to a certain possession of land that's mine where I can, you know, create wealth. Unless I'm, not, I'm willing to go out there and go get it and make it happen somehow. And so uh, hopefully that, you know, that helps you understand all these things. But that's all I want to talk about there. So let's go ahead and keep going through this. And it says in verse 16, So when Laban had two daughters, the name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah was tender-eyed, meaning she was ugly. But Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Because he said, what are your wages? He said, I'm going to serve you seven years for your daughter. Now, you know, I've been a little overwhelmed because I found out we're going to have another girl. We're going to have six girls. And I'm thinking, man... They're expensive. You know, it's not like my boys are already making good money and taking care of themselves. And, you know, but it's like my daughters, I don't really want them going out, you know, in the world. That makes me nervous and everything. And then I think about, like, paying for their weddings and stuff. And I'm getting a little freaked out, all right, because it's a lot of money. But you know what? Back then, if you could have got a servant for seven years, I mean, that's like 42 years of service that I should be able to get from a guy. <laughs> But it's like, you know, we don't do that stuff today. We need to go back to that. We really do. And I can just have a guy. But the thing is, even if I have that guy work for me, so let's say we, all right, we're going to do like, I'm going to do like Laban. I'm going to give some to my daughter if he serves with me for seven years. Okay? That still means I have to take care of him. I've still got to feed him, clothe him, house him while he's doing work for me. So, oh, that doesn't sound real good. You know what? You can just have her. And uh, you take care of her. <laughs> it's cheaper that way. You know why? Because I'm just a servant. 
Okay, if I was a man, an actual man of wealth and prominence, then maybe I could get away with that and do that. But because I'm just a poor commoner, because I'm just a servant, some guy comes along. I'm just like, yes, you can have her. That's one less mouth I have to feed. Right. So that's I think that's why we have these customs today. These are the customs that we have are the customs of the poor commoners. But if we were the rich and wealthy, I could get some good service, uh, you know, for one of my daughters, and, I, and I'd be all set. So. Uh, so they, these are the differences that we have, the challenges. You know, but, you know, Jake, because these were the rich that we're talking about here. We are not those people. But anyway, it says in verse 19, uh, And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. So all that time, Jacob, he's working you know, and this is this is payback for this daughter. And, but Jacob, and we're going to see this later too in other chapters. He, like his father, like his grandfather, God prospered everything he did. So all these years he's working for Laban. Laban is getting rich off Jacob. You know, I'm tired of making other people rich. You know, one of these days I want to make myself rich. You know, but probably not. Probably not going to happen in this life. But that's exactly what's going on. And all he's getting out of it. All he's getting out of it. Room and board and clothing for seven years, and then a wife. And it says, and so Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpha, his maid, for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning... Behold, it was Leah, and he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. So now he's got him on the hook for another seven years. So Fourteen years this guy's getting out of a man who's going to make him rich for his two daughters. He said, i got to figure out how to make this work because I could be a very rich man. But anyway, it says, And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah his handmaid to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and he served with them yet seven other years. Now, it gets a little confusing whether he served seven years, then married them, or he married them and then owed Laban for the seven years. And, but... It, I think it's pretty obvious. I think it had to be that he married them right away. Because of the fact we're going to see, if you just do the math, we'll do it here in a little bit. There's no way all this stuff could have happened in 20 years that, that we see happen. So uh, first off, notice in verse 31, because it says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. So notice that Leah is barren while he is married to Rachel too. So the chances of noticing the barrenness, you know, they would have noticed in that first seven years. So during this time that you know he's married to both of them, he's loving Rachel not loving Leah, and so God ends up opening her womb during that time. So keep that in mind. And so it says, She conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, 
He hath therefore given me the son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. So while this timeline gets confusing, notice a couple things. So in chapter 30, verse 25, it says, And it came to pass when Rachel had borne Joseph that... That Jacob said unto Laban, send me away that I may go unto mine own place and to my country. So when Joseph was born, then Jacob says, send me away to my own country, which I think it's clear because he finished his 14 years. So I believe that Joseph was born 14 years into uh, Jacob serving him. And so let's do a little bit of math here. All right. So think about this. So. First, Leah has Reuben. Then Leah, she has Simeon, Levi, and Judah, and then quits bearing for a while. So four children. Okay. Now, I don't know how close she had them together, but I'm sure they were more than a year apart. So I'm sure more than four years passed when she has these four sons. And then a noticeable amount of time passes where all of a sudden she's not getting pregnant anymore. So, and plus there was a time where she wasn't getting pregnant you know, in the beginning. And when God saw that she was hated, God ends up opening up her womb. So then, after that, we see, after she, Leah has those four, Rachel um, gives Jacob Bilhah, and Bilhah goes on to have Dan and Naphtali. So now we've got six kids, that, and these are, and these, there's not any overlapping going on here. So that after Bilhah has two children, with Jacob. Then Leah gives Jacob Zilpha because she's not having kids. And then he has, she has Gad and Asher. Now there could have been some overlap with uh, Zilpha and Bilha, but I kind of doubt it based on how it reads. But then after the eight children, and there, there's no overlap here, Leah has Issachar and Zebulun and then Dinah. And then, after that, Joseph's finally born. So is there any way we, we do all that in seven years? No, that's going to take about 14 years of having them pretty quick. That's, gonna, that, that, that's what that would take. So there's no way all of that could have happened in 14 years. So I, I personally think what happened is, you know, they made their agreement, some time passed, it came time for the wedding, and then he gives them Leah. And so now Jacob is married to Leah, so he owes Laban seven years. And so then he says, well, he agrees. He gives him Rachel. And so now Jacob owes him, you know, he's got two wives. He now owes him seven more years. So Laban kind of, you know, he does, he, he tricks him. So I think he married him right away and then had the kids over the 14 years. And so because it says too, it, uh, so after Joseph's born, he's ready to move on. But he ends up serving another six years for the cattle. It says in verse 41 of Genesis 31, Thus have I been 20 years in thine house. So he's there 20 years. He said, I serve thee 14 years for thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle. And now has changed my wages 10 times. So after Jacob, you know, he you know, served 14 years. All he had was the wives. He had the kids. And he wanted to leave 
you know, with more property than just his wives. So, you know, and I hate to use the term that way, but that's kind of what it was. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Back when we treated women like property, we treated them better than we do now. Now we treat them like trash. Back then they treated them like property. People valued their property. They die for their property. They fight for their property. Now we just treat them like trash. Who cares? You know, that, and I, it was better back then. And so then he does. He works for another six years for the cattle. That way he can leave with some possessions and some riches. I mean, after all, seeing, since he helped Laban get so rich during all that time, I mean, shouldn't he leave with some riches too? And you know what? Since we've been helping these politicians and bankers and all these people get stinking rich, shouldn't we get some riches too? You know what? We should have voted for Bernie Sanders. Um, that's not the way. That's not the way it should be done. But anyway, ultimately what we're seeing here in this passage, though, in this story here, is the origin of the 12 tribes. Again, this would have meant a lot to them. This is showing where they all came from. It's showing you know, you know, which women the different tribes came from. And there's a lot of interesting things, too, when it comes to the importance of them. Because you know, so Leah was kind of the, she was the first wife. She was the wife that Jacob ends up being buried with, not Rachel. It was Leah that the firstborn comes from. Even though she was hated, you might remember later when God gives the law, if a man have two wives, one loved and another hated, he's not allowed to make the son of the loved heir over the son of the hated wife if the hated wife has the firstborn. And because a lot of times they would show favoritism towards their children based on which wife had them. And because uh, remember too, Jacob was that way with Joseph, wasn't he? Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his other sons, which is pretty sad. And so, you know, but the, kind of the more prominent, what's interesting, the more prominent tribes of Israel, like Reuben, the firstborn, uh, you know, Simeon, Levi, where the Levitical priesthood's from, Judah, the tribe of Judah, which is like the main tribe that had the kings and everything where the Messiah came from, those all came from Leah. And then, of course, Joseph was very important. He came from Rachel, but the ones that came from, the, you know, the handmaids, the concubines, you know, Gad, Nasher, and uh, Dan and Naphtali, you don't hear much about them. You don't hear much about them at all. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting the way that worked out. I don't know if that was on purpose or what. But all this stuff, though, so it would have been very interesting, you know, for those 12 tribes, especially during that time. And so, again, the Lord's just recording all of this, uh, showing them where they all came from, because these are these 12 men that are born are what all the tribes will be named after. So this was very important. And so another thing we see that we see in this chapter, though, is what it was like in the Bible to be a servant. And it wasn't like people portray it as. And you know what? Hopefully we know better than to get puffed up as Americans, and act like we're doing better today than what God put in the law back in Exodus. God's ways are better. God's form of government is better than our form of government. And being, you know, when it comes to being a servant, I mean, obviously, historically, there have been horrible masters that treated their servants with cruelty. And that was wrong. That was terrible. That type of thing still goes on all over the world today. But in America, I will say, while we are all servants, we're treated pretty good. 
we are treated pretty good. And you know, you know, and I, I hate to even say this, but it's just kind of true. You know, because but at, at the same time, it's like you know, the government doesn't have any right. You know, it's not the government's responsibility to feed people. Well, if they're going to make us all their servants and make us all their slaves, then they kind of should, shouldn't they? Now, I'm not looking. I'm not looking to have them all start paying for all my stuff. I want them to let me be free, so I can earn my own stuff and make my own way. And I want to get them off my back. Okay, so I'm not going to go and just, you know, I'm trying to get out of as much service as I can. I'm not letting them pierce my ear. Okay? If I get my opportunity to get my freedom. I'm not piercing my ear and letting saying I'll, I'll be your servant forever. I, I don't believe in queerings, and so I'm not I'm not I'm not doing that. You know I want freedom, but in, in the meantime though, it's not that bad. I'm not starving. You know my family's not starving. We do have a nice place to live. You know we I like the roads that we're able to drive on. I like it that our masters have made it where we can travel easy. I'm glad that our masters have, you know, made electricity and internet and running water. You know, they've given us a lot of good things. And so uh, I will I will go ahead and say, as a slave, as a commoner, that my masters are pretty good to me. And uh, but and and I and I hope you all at least get the fact that when. People try to act like slavery is gone in America that we laugh at them. Okay? It is far from gone. We are just, we, we, have, we have pretty good masters, and I, and I hope they stay that way. I hope our masters don't start telling us pretty soon that, all right, if you want to keep, uh, you know, pretty soon we're going to start telling you, you know, what vaccines you have to get. Pretty soon we're not going to let you even go and buy stuff and do things unless you take a mark in your right hand or for it. Pretty soon our masters are going to tell us to do that. That day is coming, but in the meantime, you know, while they're not doing it, you know, I am thankful for that. And I and I but I do recognize the reality of the situation. And so I do I get very triggered when pe- people leave these comments on YouTube, oh, you know, your God believes in slavery. And you know how how do I explain this what I explained to you in just a comment. Uh, I mean, you, you can't. These people are so uneducated. They're so dumb. They're, they're just, there's no helping them. And, you know, that's why. So I just, I usually just delete <laughs> those things like that just because it's aggravating. But anyway, I hope this was a help to you. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for all your blessings and, and your word. And dear God, I I'm, uh, thank you that we do live in a country where our masters are decent to us and, uh, we're not being abused and, and starved out, Lord. I, I thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray, though, that uh, we will ha- get more freedom back in this country. We do seem to be losing more and more all the time. And I, I, I'm asking that you'll uh, you know, preserve us, Lord, and uh, spare us and help us to keep that freedom uh, that we do have as long as possible. But in the meantime, Lord, help us not to take what we learn tonight and help, help cause us to be just unthankful, Lord, but help us to be thankful uh, anyway in every situation that we're in. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go.